it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Hey, way to start your day. It is Thursday, the 1st of February. As we begin a new day and a new month, let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, you are the vine, bear in us the fruit of life. You are the rock in the desert from which the waters flow. Cool our weary souls with the living waters of your Holy Spirit. You are the living word. Bring life to those who grope for a sense of purpose. Ever-living God, you have given us the water of life to drink through Christ, vine, rock, word. Make us so thirst for him that we turn aside from all lesser thirsts. Through him who lives and reigns with you and the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. And glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Thursday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We have a video feed up and running in the show notes. You can check those out. Uh, those video feeds, plural, because there's one on Facebook and one on YouTube. But that's at sunrisemorningshow.com there in the show notes. Up this hour, Dr. Andrew Sodergren joins us. He's with uh, the Counseling Services Department over at Rua Woods and has some thoughts on how to better understand the transgender question, gender stuff in general. I feel like it's all around us, and it can be very difficult to know how to talk about it. So Dr. Sodergren will be along for that. Joel Stepanek will be with us from the Eucharistic Revival. Also, Father Robert Nixon to talk about peacefulness through the lens of the thought of St. Albert the Great. And uh, I know it seems a little early to talk about this, but if you don't have a Lent plan until Lent, then your Lent plan may fail. So Kevin Prendergast will have some thoughts for us on coming up with a Lent plan in advance of Lent. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The House is passing a $78 billion tax package that does include an expanded child tax credit called for by the U.S. bishops. It will now head to the Senate, although the path for it is unclear. It does have bipartisan support, but there are hurdles. Liberal Democrats are opposed to a business tax, and a few Republicans have problems with the child tax credit policy. It will need 60 votes to pass the Democratic-led Senate. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg apologized directly to parents of children who have been harmed by social media during a Senate hearing about online child safety yesterday. The moment occurred while Republican Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri called on Zuckerberg to apologize to families sitting directly behind him. Zuckerberg then addressed the parents and said, in part, quote, I'm sorry for everything you have all been through, end quote, and added his company is working on efforts to make sure no one has to go through the things your families have had to suffer. Pope Francis has again called for peace and to remember the victims of war around the world. 
From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo has more. As we prayerfully remember those who died in the two world wars, let us also remember the many, too many civilians, defenseless victims of the wars that unfortunately still stain our planet with blood. Those were Pope Francis's words at the end of his general audience on Wednesday, reflecting on Italy's National Day of Civilian War Victims. Earlier in the audience, in his address to Polish-speaking pilgrims, Pope Francis noted that we began the new year with an invitation to build peace in the world, in your homeland, in your families, in your hearts. Pope Francis has been calling for a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza since the 29th of October. He has also appealed for peace in Ukraine at almost every general audience since the war there began. I'm Francesca Merlo. Pope Francis focused on the sin of wrath at his general audience yesterday as he continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues, calling wrath a particularly dark vice. The Holy Father said wrath destroys relationships, and he upheld the importance of reconciliation, saying, when a conflict arises, address the problem at once before the sun set, he says, so that the night will not be handed over to the devil. The Diocese of Homa Thibodeau will lay to rest their late Bishop Mario Dorsonville today. He died January 19th from complications related to liver disease. After a visitation and memorial mass yesterday at the Cathedral of St. Francis de Sales in Homa, there will be a short visitation and the mass of Christian burial at St. Joseph Co-Cathedral in Thibodeau. The Federal Reserve is holding interest rates steady as consumer confidence improves and inflation slows. More from Mark Mayfield. Fed Chair Jerome Powell told reporters, however, that the central bank needs to see more evidence inflation is easing before they can cut back rates. He said inflation is still too high and the path forward is uncertain. The Fed is aiming to bring inflation down to 2%. The Fed will meet again in March. I'm Mark Mayfield. And just ahead of her feast day today, a relic of St. Bridget has returned to her native county, Kildare, in Ireland. Kildare Bishop Dennis Nolte celebrated Mass on Sunday to install the relic, a fragment of her skull, at St. Bridget's Church as part of celebrations marking the 1500th anniversary of her death. The relic of her head has been in Portugal since the 13th century. Really? So That's it's been weird. like a long time since it's she's been It's weird that St. Bridget would be in Portugal. Well, there were, head. you know, lots of uh, wars and so. raids Desecrations. and knights, Irish knights, the story goes, Irish knights took her relics. They moved them from Kildare initially to bury her by St. Patrick and St. Columba. For safekeeping. And then eventually taken and moved to Portugal again to safeguard her relics. Interesting. But most of her head still in this parish in Portugal, apparently. Wow. But it's just this little fragment that is now back in Kildare. Pretty cool. And right? now you know. And now you know. The rest of the story. It's pretty neat, isn't it? Page four. <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you, hey, Anna Mitchell, for that. You bet. You bet. Well, today is Thursday, February the 1st. It is the Feast of St. Bridget. Pray for us. It's seven past. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Andrew Sodegren. He's director of Rua Woods Psychological Services, and you can check out their work online at rwpsych.org. Dr. Sodegren, it's good to see you. 
Thank you, Anne. It's good to be with you this morning. It is good to have you. And you have a particular expertise in in gender identity issues, gender dysphoria, uh, contributed a chapter to this book from the St. Paul Center called Sexual Identity, the Harmony of Philosophy, Science and Revelation. So I want to talk to you about one particular aspect of, of your chapter in this book. So we know that there is a natural sexual difference between men and women, um, but but there's this whole phenomenon of, of those who do not identify with their biological sex. And there are those in the world that see this as no problem, you know, no problem, at least in the sense that, oh, okay, well, we'll just let you decide what gender you want to be, whether or not it's your gender assigned at birth. Um, but my first question to you is, why do we as Catholics say, no, that's, that's not okay? Why is your gender assigned at birth, as they call it? Why does that matter? Yeah, it's a great question. So this phenomenon of people not um, identifying with the, the sex revealed in their body is, is a real phenomenon. It's a real struggle. Yeah. And as you pointed out, there are these sort of two ways of looking at that. Uh, the more, more predominant one in our culture today is to let people decide and then uh, have recourse to medical procedures to make the body align with the way they think it should be, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the so-called gender identity. And Catholics, um, our Catholic faith um, uh, opposes that view and for very good reasons. Um, but those, those reasons are often not well uh, explained and, and people are at a loss for how to defend that position. And it really comes down to two very different worldviews. The worldview behind uh, gender ideology that promotes this medical transitioning uh, sees the body as, as really something separate from me, as, as just, it's just stuff, it's just matter, it's just what, it, it's, it's a tool, it's whatever I can, I, I, I can do whatever I want with it. But a Catholic worldview is a sacramental worldview that sees the body as intrinsic to who I am and uh, as John Paul II said, the body reveals the person. Mm. So the body has real meaning, and it's not something separate from my personhood or my personal identity, but is, is connected intrinsically, inherently to these things. So to look at the body as separate from me already means to buy into a false worldview that is directly opposed to a Catholic sacramental worldview. Mm -hmm. So we take the body very seriously, and the body reveals to us our maleness or our femaleness. And when we discover that in the body, we're discovering something about who we are, something core to our identity, and also something about our vocation. Because to be a male means to be called to fatherhood, and to be a female means to be called to motherhood. Mm. And so when we, when we disconnect from the body, we're disconnecting from our identity and our vocation, both of which are gifts given to us by God, revealed in the body, which is ultimately, as I said, sacramental. Wow, wow. So can you talk about how our relationship with our parents, you talk about our, our vocation to, to fatherhood or motherhood, does our relationship with our father or our mother have an effect on, on our sexual identity, I guess? Yes, absolutely. So the way I think about this is that 
that when we think about sexual identity, there's an objective component and there's a subjective component. Mm-hmm. The objective component is, is what's revealed by the body. It's objective because it's, it's verifiable by others, right? There are objective standards. There's a subjective component, though, too, and that, ha- com- that has to do with my, my growing understanding of myself and the extent to which I accept the sex revealed by my body and, and come to terms with it. And that's a developmental process that every person, whether or not they ever uh, qualify for a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, every person has to grow into their sexual identity. I have to come to understand myself as male. I have to grow Mm. into what that means. I have to come to some degree of acceptance and peace with that and find my own way of living that out. And that's a developmental process that's actually pretty complicated. And for some people, it can be fairly straightforward and, and, and unfold fairly naturally without a lot of concern or difficulty. But for some people, it's a lot more fraught with challenges. And what we've come to understand is that our experiences in our families early in life have a big role to play in how we come to understand um, men and women, maleness and femaleness, how we understand the roles and, and the kinds of things that we associate with each. See, little kids come into the world prepared to adapt to their social environment so that they can mm. survive. They have to. So they're constantly absorbing all sorts of, of messages and experiences, what they see happening in the family, what happens to mom, what happens to dad, how they relate with each other, uh, what happens with a big brother and big sister and so forth. And they're coming to very basic, usually unconscious sort of, of uh, understandings of what it means to be male, what it means to be female, and the advantages and disadvantages of each. Mm. And in some cases, um, a boy or a girl may, through their experiences, come to conclude, again, in a, in a sort of non-reflective, more unconscious, emotional-based sort of way, that it would be better, I would be more secure, I would have more opportunities, I would feel better about myself if I was the other sex. Mm. And so wow. it's really an attempt, I think, to secure their place in the world. Wow. So I don't know how often you work with people who struggle with, with gender dysphoria, how many people come to Rua Wood Psych, and I know you can't really reveal that, but um, but how would you work with somebody that that came to this conclusion that they would be better off as as the other sex? I mean, how do you, as a Catholic psychologist, help them work through that to come at peace, to be at peace with, with their own maleness or femaleness that, that God gave them. Right. So whatever age the person is that has that struggle, um, we would look at it as a symptom, right? So this disconnect from their body and their sexuality is a symptom of some deeper distress. Uh, something went wrong in this person's developmental history or, or something, something, um, uh, there's a struggle that they've had that this essentially is an attempted solution to that problem. And so we would, we would want to invite that person to engage in some exploratory work to try to walk that back and understand how did I get to this place? Mm-hmm. Right? What, are the, what are the other issues, experiences I've had in my life that led me to this place where in some way it seems advantageous to identify with a, a different gender than what my body reveals. Mm. And as we, we very gently and patiently go through that exploratory work, 
we may discover some of those underlying issues, and there may be an opportunity to begin to work on them in earnest. In some cases, that may then uh, free the person up from this symptom. It may become less compelling and may remit altogether. Wow. Well, we've got to leave it there for time, but there's so much more that I would love to discuss with you about these these issues involved uh, stuff that you talk about in this book called Sexual Identity, which you can find linked at sunrisemorningshow.com alongside Rural Woods Psychological Services. Remind listeners where they can uh, find that online. rwpsych.org. And that is linked, as I said, at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Andrew Sodegren. 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We are back with headlines right after this. Stay with us. Let's see. If something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into. And that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month. And that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. It's always harder to get out of bed when it's cold outside. So... Give yourself something to look forward to, like Mystic Monk Coffee for the first cup of the day. You can find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, and we earn a commission on anything you buy through that link. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug, which you can buy through our online store. Check out the mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. He is honored as the Doctor of the Incarnation. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. Patriarch of Alexandria in the 5th century, St. Cyril of Alexandria was a great opponent of the heretical Nestorians who denied the union of Jesus' human and divine natures. His triumph at the Council of Ephesus in 431 confirmed the title for Mary of Godbearer. For his labors, he is called the Pillar of Faith. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. 18 minutes past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. U.S. House of Representatives is passing a $78 billion tax package, which includes an expanded child tax credit supported by the U.S. bishops. Pope Francis focused on the sin of wrath, calling it a particularly dark vice as he continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues. And the Holy See today has released the Holy Father's message for Lent under the theme... Through the desert, God leads us to freedom. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Uh, Anna Mitchell, today in the gospel reading from Mark, uh, we talked about this with Father Rob Jack yesterday, and we've talked about it with a few other people, that in Mark's gospel, uh, Mark is keen to record lots and lots of episodes of Jesus casting out demons. Well, in Mark chapter 6, the gospel we'll hear at Mass today, Uh, We hear that Jesus summons the twelve and sends them out two by two and gives them authority 
over yeah. unclean spirits. Now, I have a couple of questions here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, did they? Was there was there a lot of training involved? <laughs> was I? I'm not sure how this must have worked. Uh, but my my other question is: If Jesus sent the apostles out two by two, uh, who went with whom? Like, oh yeah, would it be like. I don't know, like Peter and Matthew or, uh, you know, James and Bartholomew. Like, I wonder what the pairings were. It's an interesting question. Like, who were the buddies? Yeah. And uh, I wonder what kind of a formative experience that would have been, like a bonding thing. Like, maybe, maybe like Philip and Jude Thaddeus are not like super close, but I feel like after casting out a few demons, there's a bond there. Yeah, I would think so. I don't know. I would think so. I wonder if anybody's done any work on this. Like... How you could find that out. How you could figure out who got paired with whom. Yeah, I wonder if there are any, you know, obviously non... Dr. Bergsman may may know Non-scriptural sources that could... uh, You know what, Matt? Go look up Verbum. I should do this. See if there's any insights there. there. Commentaries. See what what T.L. Putnam's put together over there. Yeah. It's 21 minutes past the hour to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Is an indulgence a pardon of sin or a license to commit sin? An indulgence is not a pardon of sin, nor a license to commit sin. And one who is in a state of mortal sin cannot gain an indulgence. Let's say that you were convicted of stealing money and your uncle decided to pay some of it off for you. But you continued to steal the money we would say that you are actually incurring a greater debt. That uncle's help didn't actually help you. It's actually making you morally worse. This is the way it would be if you were in mortal sin and tried to receive an indulgence. Your heart would not actually be open to the grace that's helping to overcome the debt that you owe. And so an indulgence then, it's not a pardon of sin or a license to sin. Rather, it's helping us to reduce the effects of sin in our lives when we're sorry. And when we do that, we are better able to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Joel Stepanek, Vice President of Programming and Administration for the National Eucharistic Congress. Joel, welcome back. Hey, it is so good to be back. Good morning. It is so good to have you back. And with Catholic Schools Week coming up pretty soon here, uh, starting on the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, the Eucharistic Revival team has a new playbook for schools. Can you tell us about it? I would love to. And I'm so excited about this playbook. I have got 
two kids in Catholic school, one more on the way nice. into Catholic school. Uh, my wife served as a campus minister in Catholic schools, went through Catholic school uh, herself. I did not, interestingly. I went through public school until I went to graduate school. So I um, didn't have the same opportunity as my uh, children will have and my wife had. I have a deep love for, for Catholic schools because of the opportunity we have to evangelize young people. Uh, we get them in this environment for five days a week, and this Catholic Schools Playbook is going to help Catholic schools become Christocentric places where young people encounter Jesus Christ. And that is tremendously exciting to me. Well, how do you do that with this playbook? Remind, I guess, first of all, maybe you could remind us, um, because we've talked about other playbooks in the past. I think it was the Parish Playbook. Is that right? So uh, what exactly is a playbook when it comes to the Eucharistic Revival? Yeah, this playbook is a step-by-step guide. That allows for a lot of latitude, I think. So it's step-by-step insofar as it lays a good foundation for a Catholic school to have some conversations around four pillars and to ask, how are we doing in these areas in creating the environment for a Eucharistic revival? And we've said this before about the Eucharistic revival. Revival isn't something we can manufacture. It is something that the Lord does on uh, the Lord's initiative. But we really believe that God wants to bring about Eucharistic revival. So the focus for us is on receptivity. The parish playbook was about how parishes can create an environment of receptivity so that the Holy Spirit can really work, really kind of creating the soil around an environment that is going to allow the seeds that the Lord plants to grow and bear fruit. The Catholic school playbook is the same way. So it's a guide that will allow administrators, teachers, faculty to sit down and look at four areas, and those four areas are how we reinvigorate worship, how we create opportunities for personal encounter, how do we create... um, opportunities for robust formation, so we're growing in our knowledge of the Eucharist, and then what does it look like to be a school where we send people out as missionaries? And conversations around those four pillars are going to help schools understand where they're at currently, and then what they could do, again, to grow as as a school that's centered around Jesus Christ and really create an environment where Eucharistic revival can and will happen. So does that mean this is uh, limited to religion class, Joel? No, not at all. In fact, the cool thing about this Catholic school playbook is it touches every single area of the Catholic school experience. And being in ministry for over 20 years, almost 20 years, I guess, and um, having kids who go to a Catholic school, my wife taught um, in Catholic schools as a campus minister, it can't just be a religion class. It can't just be on the campus minister to do the religion part of the Catholic school. That's the idea of a Catholic school is religion isn't compartmentalized. And so this playbook is for every teacher. It's for the maintenance staff. It's for the administrators, for everyone to sit down and say, how am I growing in my own knowledge of the Eucharist so I can teach that? Even if I'm the volleyball coach or the basketball coach, how can I grow in my um faith life and my prayer life so that everything I do, even if it's cleaning up the hallways and setting up classrooms, is done from this Eucharistic spirituality. And what does it look like as a school to have our end game be, we're going to go even to parents and invite them into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We're going to be a community that goes out to the poor and onto the margins of our city, of our of our school, of our community and reaches people there. So it touches every aspect of the Catholic school far beyond the religion classroom or the theology classroom. You know, that's awesome because um, particularly I have young kids. I've got um, nine and under and three of them in a Catholic school right now. And um, one who will, of course, be on the way, but not old enough yet. And and 
as a parent, I found it kind of difficult in a way to be able to communicate a love of the Eucharist or instill a love of the Eucharist in my kids when, you know, you look up there and you say, well, that's Jesus up there on the altar with Father. Um, but getting them to to wrap their minds around that because doesn't look like a person, right? And, and so in young kids in particular, developing a, a hunger and a love for the Eucharist, um, even prior to receiving First Holy Communion, is something that really has to be communicated through how I show my love for the Eucharist. Absolutely. And I think that's where the risk exists for students who go to Catholic schools. If a Catholic school is not really living into this Eucharistic spirituality and this Christ-centeredness, because, I mean, just the same way if anybody's listening and you, you think, well, I want you to tell me what, you know, the feeling of the shirt on your back feels like, you probably weren't even aware that you had that feeling. But that shirt is touching your skin. It's creating a response through nerve endings, but you are numb to it. In a Catholic school, if we don't really be um, forward about our love for the Eucharist, and it's just something that's happening in the background, yep. we risk making our young people numb. And this playbook will help schools really put it at the forefront so that we're changing lives rather than making the Eucharist sort of the background. You can find the National Eucharistic Congress and the revival linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We've been talking to Joel Stepanek. Joel, really appreciate your thoughts this morning. Thanks. Thank you. You bet. Always happy to look ahead to the Eucharistic Congress in July. And of course, you can find all of our guests linked on a daily basis at sonrisemorningshow.com. And that is where you can also find links to tune in to our live video feed. If you want to see, you know, the excellent wardrobe that Matt's wife picks out for him on a daily basis. That is the place to go. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube and also streaming um, with the link in our show notes at sonrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. In Washington, the House is passing a $78 billion tax package that includes an expanded child tax credit. Mark Mayfield reports. It will now head to the Senate, although the path for it is unclear. While it has bipartisan support, there are hurdles, such as liberal Democrats who oppose the business tax breaks and Republicans who have problems with the child tax credit policy. It will need 60 votes to pass the Democratic-led Senate. I'm Mark Mayfield. U.S. bishops had released a statement last week from the chairman of the Committee on Domestic Justice and Human Development welcoming the news of the expanded child tax credit deal, saying, quote, this is exactly the sort of policy supporting women, children, and families that Congress should prioritize. Archbishop Boris Gudziak said it makes meaningful progress to, quote, help support the well-being of families struggling to meet their basic needs and has the power to lift many children out of poverty, end quote. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis again called for peace around the world as he looked ahead to Italy's National Day of Civilian War Victims. The Holy Father said, quote, as we prayerfully remember those who died in the two world wars, let us also remember the many, too many civilians, defenseless victims of the wars that unfortunately still stain our planet with blood. He said, may their cry of sorrow 
touch the hearts of those in charge of nations and lead to projects for peace, end quote. The Holy Father focused on the sin of wrath in his general audience as he continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Wrath and anger have a tendency to grow out of control, and thus we are called to actively seek peace and reconciliation. Wrath, the Pope said, is perhaps the easiest to detect from a physical point of view. If it arises from an injustice suffered or deemed to be so, the Pope observed, it is often unleashed, not against the guilty party, but against others. There are people, he acknowledged, who hold back their anger at work, proving to be calm and compassionate, but once at home, they become unbearable for their spouses and children. Wrath, he acknowledged, can pervade our being, robbing us of our sleep and causing us to rerun it in our minds. Moreover, he said, it can destroy relationships. The Apostle Paul, aware of how anger can grow out of control, the Pope said, urged Christians to address the problem at once and seek to reconcile. It is important that everything can be dissolved immediately before the sun sets, he said. If some misunderstanding may arise and people don't understand each other anymore, it is important, the Pope said, to address it and reconcile. The Pope also noted that anger in the face of injustices can be justified. We are not, the Holy Father pointed out, responsible for anger and its arising, but always in its development. Sometimes Pope Francis said it is good to vent anger, but always in the right way. Pope Francis also acknowledged the existence of holy indignation, adding that Jesus knew it well several times in his life. Una santa indignazione. Pope Francis concluded by urging the faithful to seek the help of the Holy Spirit in properly managing their passions in order to turn them into a tool for the good. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The Holy See has released the Pope's message for Lent today. It begins in less than two weeks on February 14th with Ash Wednesday. The theme for this year's Lenten message from the Holy Father is Through the Desert, God Leads Us to Freedom. Military personnel and civilians who lived or worked at Camp Lejeune in the mid-1970s and 80s are more likely to be diagnosed with certain cancers compared to those stationed at a similar base in California. Lisa Taylor has more. That's according to a new government study, which could lead to more conditions that veterans and civilians working on the North Carolina base can get government compensation for. The study found those at Camp Lejeune had at least 20% higher risk of developing those types of cancer compared to those at Camp Pendleton in Southern California. In Raleigh, I'm Lisa Taylor. The Diocese of Homa Thibodeau will lay to rest their late Bishop Mario Dorsonville, who died January 19th from complications related to liver disease. After a visitation and memorial mass yesterday at the Cathedral of St. Francis de Sales in Homa, there will be visitation and the mass of Christian burial today at St. Joseph Co-Cathedral in Thibodeau. That's the news. It's 35 past. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. The chief intention that we must have in going to communion should be to advance in the love of God. Communion should strengthen and comfort you in this love. Receive with love the gift of love. There is no more loving or more tender gift of the Savior than this. Here he annihilates himself, so to speak, and changes himself into food, so that he may fill our souls, intimately uniting himself to the heart and body of the faithful person. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on this feast of St. Bridget of Ireland. Pray for us. Father Robert Nixon is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. The latest book we've been going through is The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great. Father, welcome back. Thank you, Annie. It's great to be with you. It is great to have you. And today we are going to be unpacking St. Albert's reflections on the virtue of of peacefulness, which he breaks up into two parts uh, to start off with, peacefulness with God and with our neighbor. So can you take us through that to kick us off? Absolutely. So peacefulness of God, of course, is uh, extremely important because God is the ultimate. And he tells us that true peace with God consists in placing all of one's abilities all of one's actions and thoughts, and all of the powers of the five senses entirely at the disposal of God's will. And this entails governing one's thoughts, feelings, desires, and intentions, as well as exterior actions, in such a way that they are ruled by reason, and in this reason, in turn, must accord with the will of God. And uh, this is such a wonderful sentiment, and very typical of St. Albert the Great, who, of course, was a great believer in the power of reason. And he felt that we need to keep all of our actions, our thoughts, our feelings, uh, kind of under this control, under the control of what we know to be right, so that we can then be at peace with God. And this being at peace with God is so important because it's really the same as being at peace with our own life, our own existence, the world we live in. But he then goes on to talk about peace with one's neighbour, And of course, um, this is sometimes more difficult because it's normally with our neighbours that we fall out, that we have conflicts and so forth. He says that to be 
truly at peace with one's neighbor means sincerely to avoid doing anything that will disturb their peace. Hmm. Indeed, whoever deliberately disturbs the peace of another always loses their own peace as well. And I think this is a very profound insight. If we think about whatever um, lack of peacefulness we have within ourselves, this can be traced to lack of peace with others. Hmm. And whenever we place ourselves in a, con- a situation of conflict with others, we always lose something of our own internal peace as well. And so we need to avoid all these situations um, of conflict, of breakdown of peace. And I think uh, St. Albert is very wise in advising this, that we need to try to avoid all occasions of conflict, of the breaking of ill will, and to try and maintain this peace, which ultimately God intended for the human race to enjoy. And what does it, he he talks about how the virtue of peacefulness possesses a twofold usefulness to us? How is peacefulness useful? Yes. Well, it is very useful. He tells us that firstly, the cultivation of peace produces a delightful state of calmness mm. and serenity of mind, and this delight, which can be experienced in this life is a foretaste of the eternal sweetness and delight of the kingdom of heaven. And if we reflect upon this, whenever we um, are at peace with all the people, other people in our lives, um, then we experience, I believe, this kind of delight, this kind of sweetness. And he tells us this is a foreshadowing of heaven. So to cultivate peace with our neighbor, is, I mean, it's for their benefit, of course, but it's also for our own benefit because the more we can enjoy this peace with our neighbor, the greater the peacefulness within our own heart will be. And secondly, he talks about how God is able to prepare for himself a dwelling place only in the soul which has made itself peaceful and calm. For the Lord declares in the words of the psalm, in peace shall I take my rest. And if we think about this, this is very true. When our own hearts are in a state of con and aggression and so forth, we're not really turning them into a welcoming place for God. But when we make our play, our hearts into places of peace, into places of calmness and serenity, then we're turning them into a place at which God naturally can feel at home. Yeah. Yeah, and really makes sense from the perspective of a parent when you think about that. If you if you think of the baby Jesus particularly coming into your heart, like you need to be peaceful in order for a child to feel secure in your arms. And so I think that that we can look at it in that way in in terms of making a dwelling place for our Lord. Um, I was really intrigued by the signs of genuine and false peace that he talks about. Um, Because, Father, I have to admit, as I, well, actually, as I've been reading through this whole book, I keep thinking, I want Father to make a children's version of this book (laughs) so that I can read it to my kids. This particularly, I think of my boys who, who constantly try to disturb the other's peace and, and find <laughs> right. that they are, you know, yeah. not at peace themselves. And then I was thinking of, yeah. of children and false peace and how that can relate to what we um, we as adults can experience with this as well, because he talks well, I, about... I, I, I oh, think... Go ahead. Yeah. 
So this very much applies to children, but also applies to adults, because I think at a certain level in our hearts, our, our behavior actually does remain quite childlike. Oh, yes. And he tells us that a sign of genuine peacefulness is for a person to avoid all places, places and interactions that are likely to lead to disturbance or unrest. Mm -hmm. And I think experience teaches us this. We know if we meet a certain person or if we talk about a certain topic with a certain person and so forth, that conflicts are bound to arise. Yeah. And what he advises us, I think, very wisely is basically to avoid these situations. And we shouldn't take this as being cowardice or not being prepared to face confrontations, but merely it's a, it's a kind of wisdom. When we know that some situation is, is going to end up in conflict or disaster of being judicious and choosing simply to say no to it, mm -hmm. not to enter into that situation at all. And um, he talks about a sign of this is just simply holding to the commandments of God. And the commandment which God gives us are, are so simple and they're so easy to keep as long as we don't muddy the waters with conflicts with other human beings. Mm -hmm. He talks about a deficiency in the virtue of peacefulness, which is when we're not able to detach ourselves from the source of disturbance and agitation. And I think yeah. an example of this would be if we know that some topic is going to lead to an argument with another person, but somehow we want to keep revisiting that argument. This is a sign of failure in that mm -hmm. virtue. And I, I mean, it's something I can relate to myself as if you really want to resolve this problem or to win this fight. But he tells us, no, if you know it's not going to result in peace, if you know it's going to result in, in conflict, then just step away. Yeah. And false peace as well. Absolutely. So what depends. False peace is what really struck me when I was thinking in, in terms of my kids and then how I also have false peace. You know, the, you look at a child and you say, oh, he's so peaceful. And it was like, well, yeah, he's getting everything he wants, you know, and, and then the moment that something that he wants is taken away or, you know, put in a situation that he doesn't want to be in or she, um, that then all of a sudden the just the the explosion of emotions right and and it got me appreciating father those moments that the as as opportunities to foster peace in our own hearts um amid adversity yes so this true peace needs to come from within it needs to be not dependent upon external circumstances upon other people doing or saying or whatever that pleases us and i think this is uh, somewhat stoic but i think it's very true that our true peace needs to, to depend upon no one but ourself and god and once we have that then we'll enjoy this peace eternally this inner peace will remain secure no matter what happens, since this peace depends not on the actions of others or external circumstances, but only on his own inner virtue through the grace of God. And as he says in the prayer, let my peace be founded on nothing but you, O Lord. A really, really insightful chapter in The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great. We've been talking about it with Father Robert Nixon. Father, really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Thank you, Annie. I hope you and all your listeners have a peaceful day. <laughs> Thank you, Father, and you as well. All right, it's 13 till. We're back with our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, right after this. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. It's more than just another radio show. It's a beacon of truth. Fasten your seatbelt and find out why they call Deacon Harold Berg Sivers the dynamic deacon. Whether it's today's culture, sacred scripture, or the teachings of the church, Deacon Harold and his guests will help set you on fire for the Catholic faith. Join Deacon Harold for a fast-paced hour that sheds encouraging light on today's culture. Beacon of Truth, starting Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, only on EWTN Global Catholic Radio. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Thursday, the first day of February, and on the 14th of February, we get Ash Wednesday, which means that Lent is just a couple of weeks away. Uh, so, rather than just dive straight into Lent and figuring out when you get there, we figured it'd be maybe a good time to talk about some ways to prepare yourself mentally and spiritually. Kevin Prendergast is a licensed counselor, former seminary professor, and he joins us each week here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. All right, so we're done with January. That's the New Year's mm -hmm. Resolution Month. We're into mm -hmm. February. It's going to be the Lent Month. <laughs> How can mm -hmm. we maybe uh, do a better job this year, maybe than we've done in years past, of approaching Lent uh, in the right headspace? <sighs> Yeah, and just to resurrect an, an old way of doing this, you know, from Septuagesma Sunday, which was last Sunday, uh, to Ash Wednesday is a time of kind of pre-Lent. You get a running start. It's like, you know, pitchers and catchers will be reporting for spring training, but they've been working out and getting ready, even though spring training hasn't officially begun. And I think we can do the same thing. So uh, maybe this sounds like a discouraging note to start on, but I would say that the majority of our listeners, if they're honest, if they made a New Year's resolution, that's pretty much gone by the wayside by now. That's what the, all the research would show. Uh, we had a session a couple weeks ago, Matt, on dry January, and the statistics there is, you know, maybe one out of seven people that tried not to drink alcohol through the month of January we're actually able to do that, but we don't want to give up. That's where our faith comes in. That, So we got a couple of uh, practical suggestions from psychology from my work. 
So I, I was very fortunate. I had a great statistics professor back in uh, grad school, and I loved it. I'm not, not really the math guy, but it was just a wonderful course. And one of the things that he would say frequently, because in statistics we talk about significance, we want significant results. And he said, boy, I really wish we had a journal of insignificant results because mm. we learn a lot from what we've tried. And even though it didn't work out the way we wanted to, we didn't get the, quite the answer. If we really reflect on that, it gives us a great starting point because we've already done some work. You know, somebody else has done some work. And so we know that that didn't quite work. But, you know, what else did they miss? And we can build on that. So one of the things that, that I see, I, I don't know that we do this too much, would be to look back and reflect. So we have all this experience. So even if January wasn't that great, but we could look back to February of 2023, we could just ask a couple of questions. And I'm a big believer in writing things down. And we know the research is pretty clear that if we write things down, we're more likely to kind of put it on our brain and make it stick up there. So one would be just a couple of questions. If I sit down quietly with our Lord and just ask, uh, what are you most happy about, God, with my how my life has been this last year? So since last Lent, I had some intentions. How did that go? What are you most happy with and pleased with my progress? Is there anything that I've done or not done that disappoints you? Did I let you down? And then what would you like me to focus on right now? Now, that sounds simple, but those three questions. Those are three big questions, we, though. I mean, there's yeah, a lot yeah, in are. those. Yeah. And then the, the other thing I think in psychology, and I can talk about this from the therapy point of view, uh, there, there's a good part, like most of the folks that come in to me talk about what's happened to them. So people have very tragic uh, incidents in their life. They have trauma. They have losses. Uh, they're in difficult relationships or work situations. And that's that's fine and good. We need to address that. So people are broken. They've been hurt. And that's that's one part of what we need to talk about. But the other thing, and unfortunately, I don't really see, I think psychology is, therapy has kind of moved on, well, we're just going to focus on that, on how people have been hurt and traumatized and wounded. But we don't get to the other part, which is, okay, is there any part of that pain that you're experiencing right now that you actually brought about yourself? Were you a willing participant in some of that? Did you make things worse? Uh, is there something that, that I need to change right now? Uh, maybe I need to make amends or heal so I'm not an innocent victim. And I think that's important. And, you know, maybe we can focus on that rather than our, our woundedness. There is this reality that we talk about of, of our failures, our sin, uh, and that there has to be a balance there. Another part, you know, St. Benedict in his rule has a great bit of advice, but I, I think it's really sound psychology. He says uh, that each monk in the monastery before Lent begins should have a little sit down with the abbot and say, well, abbot, Father Abbot, this is what I'm thinking about doing for Lent, fasting, prayer, penance, uh, acts of charity. What do you think? And the abbot might say, well, those are all great ideas, but I thought that maybe you really need to work on this. Let me give you yeah. some feedback. You know, and there's a lot of people listening this morning who are not monks, but uh, it's yeah. one thing for me to think about the stuff I've got to work on. It's another thing to ask my wife what she thinks I ought to work on. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes so. it's better, Matt, maybe not to ask our spouse because they're a little bit too close to it. Sure. And there might be some things we're working on that are, that are still too personal. You know, we're not trying to keep secrets, but... 
uh, it's very private and, and we have a lot of shame about that. So to find somebody that I can trust and that not, is not going to get freaked out by whatever I say that I want to work on, that could be my, my confessor, it could be a really good friend, uh, somebody else in a prayer group that I'm at at church, just that accountability partner. And most people just don't do that. We keep it to ourselves and we try to do it by ourselves. And I think that would be the last point is that even if I have had failures in the past and maybe I ask those questions of God and uh, you know, my inventory doesn't come out too good. The store sheet doesn't look great. Uh, failures, it's like nothing's wasted. That, you know, our faith tells us that uh, God gives us the grace to pick ourselves back up. And it really, you know, Christianity is not really a self-help project. Otherwise, why why would Jesus have to go go and do everything he did for us and go to Calvary if we could just fix ourselves? So again, you know, the Paschal Mystery says that, you know, I'm... I'm inadequate, and whatever goals I set for myself, I'm probably never going to accomplish those entirely. And sometimes that's what God is trying to teach me, that to lean on on the Lord more thoroughly instead of just trying to do it all myself, a self-help project for Lent, because this is different from a New Year's resolution. And as we've talked about, the New Year's resolutions don't go so well, but maybe if we ask God's help, the, our, our efforts to change and be converted might go a little bit better. And the great thing is we're doing this together as a whole church, right? That's so right. There are, yeah. uh, we're surrounded by mm-hmm. fellow Catholics who are also yeah. trying to take a, a closer look at this. We're all trying to take a look at it closer together as a whole church heading towards Easter. Kevin Prendergast, always appreciate you. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you Thanks, again soon. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you a lot, too. Take care. All right. We got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up on many of these EWTN radio affiliates. So looking forward to catching up with you after the break. Check us out at sunrisemorningshow.com for links to all of our guests. Back after this, it's three minutes till. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word. On this Thursday, the 1st of February, as we start a new month and a new day, let's begin with St. Ignatius of Loyola's prayer against anxiety. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O Christ Jesus, when all is darkness, and we feel our weakness and helplessness, give us the sense of your presence, your love, and your strength. Help us to have perfect trust in your protecting love and strengthening power, so that nothing may frighten us or worry us. For living close to you, we shall see your hand, your purpose, your will through all things. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And since it is her feast today, St. Bridget of Ireland, pray for us. It is a better way to start a Thursday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show here on EWTN. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running. You can check that out in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, uh, we get to talk to Dr. John Bergsma about love in the book of Revelation. And uh, you may or may not know this, but it turns out that the whole Bible ends with the wedding of Christ and his church, the bride and the bridegroom. Rita Heikenfeld's going to be along. She'll discuss how kids learned and did lunches back in the days of the Old and New Testaments, and she's got some ideas for Catholic Schools Week as well. We'll also check in with Gary Machuda, 
uh, going through his book, The Gospel Truth, looking at various ways that we can uh, lean on the reliability of the gospel accounts. And we're going to talk actually about how the church decided that a couple books didn't belong in the canon of the New Testament. And then Courtney Brown along at the end of the hour to help us get more theology of the body principles for middle schoolers. So stay with us if you can. Right now it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The U.S. House is passing a $78 billion tax package, which includes an expanded child tax credit. It will now head to the Senate, although the path for it there is unclear. It does have bipartisan support, but there are hurdles, such as liberal Democrats who are opposed to the business tax breaks and a few Republicans who have problems with the child tax credit policy. It will need 60 votes to pass the Democratic-led Senate. The U.S. Bishops Conference released a statement just last week from the chairman of the Committee on Domestic Justice and Human Development welcoming the deal on the expanded child tax credit, saying this is exactly the sort of policy supporting women, children and families that Congress should prioritize. Also in Washington, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg has apologized directly to the parents of children who were harmed by social media. The moment came during a Senate hearing about online child safety yesterday. Republican Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri called on Zuckerberg to apologize to the family sitting directly behind him. Zuckerberg then stood up, turned around and addressed those parents and said in part, quote, I'm sorry for everything you all have been through and added his company is working on, quote, efforts to make sure no one has to go through the things your families have had to suffer, end quote. Pope Francis has again called for peace around the world and for us to remember the victims of war today. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. As we prayerfully remember those who died in the two world wars, let us also remember the many, too many civilians, defenseless victims of the wars that unfortunately still stain our planet with blood. Those were Pope Francis's words at the end of his general audience on Wednesday, reflecting on Italy's National Day of Civilian War Victims. Earlier in the audience, in his address to Polish-speaking pilgrims, Pope Francis noted that we began the new year with an invitation to build peace in the world, in your homeland, in your families, in your hearts. Pope Francis has been calling for a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza since the 29th of October. He has also appealed for peace in Ukraine at almost every general audience since the war there began. I'm Francesca Merlo. The Holy See has released the Pope's message for Lent, which begins in less than two weeks on February 14th. The theme for this year's Lenten message is Through the Desert, God Leads Us to Freedom. The Diocese of Homa Thibodeau will lay to rest their late bishop, Mario Dorsonville, today. He died January 19th from complications related to liver disease. After a visitation and memorial mass yesterday at the Cathedral of St. Francis de Sales in Homa, there will be visitation and the mass of Christian burial this afternoon at St. Joseph Co-Cathedral in Thibodeau. The Federal Reserve is holding interest rates steady as consumer confidence improves and inflation slows. More from Mark Mayfield. Fed Chair Jerome Powell told reporters, however, that the central bank needs to see more evidence inflation is easing before they can cut back rates. He said inflation is still too high and the path forward is uncertain. The Fed is aiming to bring inflation down to 2%. The Fed will meet again in March. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. Just ahead of her feast day today, a relic of St. Bridget has returned to her native county, Kildare, in Ireland. Kildare Bishop Dennis Nolte celebrated Mass on Sunday to install the relic, a fragment of her skull, at St. Bridget's Church as part of celebrations marking the 1500th anniversary of her death. The relic of her head has been in Portugal since the 13th century. And several U.S. sites have made National Geographic's list of the top 20 travel experiences around the globe. The Katmai National Park in Alaska, Route 66 in New Mexico, and West Virginia's New River placed on the Best of the World 2024. New York also popped up on the list with antiquing in the Hudson Valley and observing the solar eclipse, total solar eclipse in Niagara Falls. National Geographic editors, photographers, and explorers compiled the annual list. Dude, I never thought about the total solar eclipse at Niagara Falls. That would be epic. It would be kind of epic. Hmm. Uh, you got to make sure Is you're standing next... on the right part of it, though, so you're not doing an accidentally Canadian site. Total. <laughs> I can't believe these I just be like laughed USA. at you. Okay, I got to see. I wish I would have looked this up earlier. Hmm. Where is is the total solar eclipse going to go? Well, there's been a place in Kentucky that people have flocked to that's supposed to be real good for solar eclipses. I mean, I'm going, the one on April 8th this year is going through Dayton, Ohio, which is just, you know, 45 minutes up the road. You plan your eclipse itineraries a lot farther ahead than I do. Oh, well... I don't remember they're happening until like the day of. Okay, well, the last time a solar eclipse, a total solar eclipse came near us, it was like three hours away. And we got there in Kentucky with, I don't know, 10 minutes to spare. And I want to make sure that I don't do that Eclipses wait for no man, Anna Mitchell. I know, but it was spectacular. Have you seen a total solar eclipse? I uh, I, think I so. was shocked. It is weirdly dark when it happens. Yeah, I was shocked at how beautiful it was. Shocked. Cool. So April eighth, everybody, start getting your solar eclipse glasses now. Get your itinerary together. Exactly. Punch a pinhole in this that is box. Going right through. I mean, Texas up through Maine. I mean, nice it's right there through a good part of the U.S. Anyway. Today is Thursday, February the 1st. It is the Feast of St. Bridget of Ireland. Pray for us. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Berksma. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So today we are going to begin talking about the book of Revelation in Love Basics, which to some might sound kind of weird, Uh, based on what they think the book of Revelation is, but that's why we have you on retainer here. Um, I mean, before we even get into the text itself, how does the name Revelation or Apocalypse even um, give us some marital imagery? Indeed, you know, so we think of Apocalypse, and we think end of the world, Mm -hmm. fire falling from the sky. Yep, yep zombies right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so but actually the word apocalypto means apo which is off and calypsis which is a veil 
and it's taking the veil off, which is the same thing that revelatio means in Latin. So the two names for the book, Revelation or the Apocalypse of John, both talking about taking the veil off, and that often referred to the bride removing the veil and being revealed. And wow. that's, you know, just that term, revealed, right? So that's what's going on in the book. The bride of the Lamb will ultimately be, you know, the big reveal at the end of the book. That's incredible. So to kind of get our bearings, to get the big picture here, can you give us sort of, I don't know, the Cliff Notes version, the outline of of what happens in the book of Revelation as we start our study of it? Sure. So the Apostle John's taken up into heaven. Uh, He sees the heavenly worship going on. He gets seven messages to the main metropolitan churches and Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Those are edifying to read. Mm -hmm. But then we move into his visions of these plagues. He sees uh, seven seals broken in heaven, plagues falling, seven trumpets blown, plagues falling, seven bowls poured out, plagues falling. And then climactically, around chapter 17, he sees this harlot called Babylon seated on this dragon with seven heads, and she is destroyed. And then a couple chapters later, down comes the bride of the Lamb, sort of replacing the harlot. And then in the last couple chapters, we have this beautiful vision. Usually folks say it's a vision of heaven, which is not wrong. It is. More to it than that, though. And uh, But a beautiful vision of the wedding of the Lamb and his bride and then the whole book concludes by calling the lamb and the bride to come together soon. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about Revelation 17, and uh, as you put it, the main villain of the book of Revelation, the harlot, the, the as you put it in the book, the immoral woman named Babylon. Talk a little bit more about this woman. Sure. So I was raised being taught she was Rome, or even better, the Roman Catholic Church. (laughs) Very very popular uh, opinion among Lutherans, Mm Seventh-day Adventists, you know, the immoral woman seated on the seven heads. And indeed, the the seven-headed dragon probably is Rome. But when we read this passage, Anna, we should keep in mind the woman is not the dragon. She's mm-hmm. propped up. Now, to cut to the chase, I argue in greater depth and some other publications, this is the city of Jerusalem propped up by Rome, which is exactly wow. what the political situation was. You know, the Sadducees sure. and the Pharisees got their money and their political power propped up by Rome. And they did that by, you know, sleeping with the Romans politically, and uh, cooperating with their policies. And so what we see is the beast in Revelation 17 turns on the woman and burns her up, etc. That's what happened in AD 70. Mm. This relationship broke down. Rome turned on Jerusalem, had this fight. Jerusalem was destroyed. But um, the point is, that was the old covenant people of God 
now the church is coming into being, and so the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, prepared as a bride in Revelation 21, this is the new spouse of the Lamb uh, that will be faithful and will experience you know, eternal bliss with her bridegroom. This is so incredible to think about the 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 immoral woman as being the the old city of Jerusalem. I mean, it it fits so well when you think um, you talk about her as a harlot. I mean, that is imagery that's used throughout the Old Testament to talk about the people of of Israel and Judah and, and Jerusalem. Indeed, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos. They all use this harlot imagery, oftentimes specifically about the city of Jerusalem. So we see that John just is standing in that prophetic tradition and kind of updating and reapplying what has been a prophetic message throughout Israel's history. Well, we will leave it there for now to uh, dive more into the marital imagery that is found in the book of Revelation and the New Jerusalem next time. In the meantime, you can find Love Basics for Catholics linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bergsma, thank you. As always, talk to you next time. I look forward to it. All right, it's uh, 15 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at weather across the nation, across northern New England and upstate New York. A passing disturbance will bring some snowy conditions in the morning and a rain-snow mix this afternoon. Most areas will have a little more than nuisance snowfall, but parts of northern Maine could see two to five inches of fresh snow. Elsewhere, high pressure will remain firmly in place from the Rockies and Plains to the Mid-Atlantic and South, bringing dry conditions. And most of these locales will see some sunshine, although clouds will remain stubborn across the Mississippi Valley. A strong Pacific storm will be moving on on shore, bringing heavy rain from San Diego to Seattle. Expect flooding in many locations. By later in the day, the rain will move into the Great Basin and into Utah. Mountain snow will blanket the Sierra and peaks up the Great Basin, where it could accumulate feet deep. Wow. 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founders and Daniel Comboni as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. 
If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Proclaiming the faith, changing lives. The year was 2000. Mother receives an enormous package from the Vatican. She opens a box live on her television show and discovers a monstrance that had been given to John Paul II during his 1999 pilgrimage to Poland. To learn more about Mother Angelica's life and the history of EWTN, visit EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica. Eighteen minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. In Washington, the House is passing a $78 billion tax package that includes an an expanded child tax credit that's supported by the U.S. bishops. Pope Francis again called for peace around the world and to remember the many victims of war today. He did so during his general audience yesterday and in his catechesis focused on the sin of wrath, calling it a particularly dark vice. News at the top bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, it is Catholic Schools Week. It and, is. And uh, all kinds of fun things happening. Uh, we got Pajama Day today. Oh, neat. That's that's where we're at. It's the- spirit wear and a skating party this afternoon for us. Party. Yeah, oh, That's fun. Um, so... I saw a new one. Uh, Richard weighed in in the chat. You can see our our video stream in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Richard gave, gave a, a nod to this one. I think this is happening in Cleveland. I've never heard of this one before, but it's a fantastic idea. It's dressed like you're in a Zoom meeting day. So, so what? You wear like pajama pants you wear on something the bottom formal and a suit. on top, and then you wear something like, oh, you boy. know, pajama like on the bottom. Nice. So that's the theme day. I think it's for a high school. That's well, a great idea. What people don't realize is that's like dressed like a TV news anchor for Time and Eternity Day. Yes. That's how you dressed as a news anchor on television. Well, just so you know, like Anna Mitchell and I, even though you can see us on video stream, uh, we dress like we have always dressed. That's true. For the radio, like, you know, like attempting to be professional. Oh, stop it. You totally wore your pajama pants today. No, I did not. I did not. I'm just Prove wearing, it. Like, regular... Prove it. Prove it. I'm Stand just, up. Like, jeans. So just, like, oh. jeans. Man. Okay, you are wearing jeans. All right. I could have I could have busted out some okay, khakis, that's fair. I suppose. But we always dress like... If, if Anna Mitchell and I were to dress like we were in a Zoom meeting, we would just be dressed like we, norm- like we normally, normally dress. Normally dress. It's true. Radio there wardrobe. I remember... Um, starting an internship at a local station here in Cincinnati. And I asked, what's the uh, dress code? And he was like, a clean pair of jeans and a sweater. There you go. That's I always dress it. up for the radio. I feel like you guys can hear it in my voice if I'm it dressed. It makes a difference. Yeah. It's 21 past. Do you have to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, 
go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Remember, O most loving heart of Jesus, that they for whom I pray are those for whom you prayed so earnestly the night before your death. These are they to whom you look to continue with you in your sorrows when others forsake you, who share your griefs and have inherited your persecutions according to your word, that the servant is not greater than his Lord. Remember, O heart of Jesus, that they are the objects of the world's hatred and Satan's deadliest snares. Keep them then, O Jesus, in the safe citadel of your sacred heart, and there let them be sanctified in truth. May they be one with you and one among themselves, and grant that multitudes may be brought through their word to believe in you and love you. Amen. Well, it's always fun every week to catch up with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com to discuss Bible foods and herbs and eating habits from our forebears and the faith. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning, and I think this subject is near and dear to your heart and Annie's. Uh, there's probably some people involved in this subject <laughs> right now. It's Catholic <clears throat> Schools Week, and uh, we're going to talk about packing lunches, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, so... Uh, Obviously, no refrigerator, no microwave. Uh, anything that a kid in Jesus' day was going to bring with them for the day, they would probably have to pack in some sort of like a preserved manner because they can't they can't go microwave it and they can't come out of the fridge. So, uh, talk a little bit about the 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 whole surrounding culture and and how kids would have done this. Well, first of all, um, they would, as far as what they would have eaten, it would have been a hunk of bread perhaps some dried fish, um, fresh or dried fruit, and yogurt, and certainly some water. That was probably about it. But, you know, the primary purpose, uh, Matt, of education for the Jewish people back then was what they said was learning, and, learning of and obedience to the law of God. But then there was another purpose, and that was to teach the practical lessons for everyday life. And as you know, that meant a trade for the the mail and the care and feeding of the household for the girls. Um, And I always think of Jesus apprenticing under Joseph uh, for carpentry. So schools would not have existed in the same way that they exist today? Oh, no, um, not certainly not. Um, Home was still considered the first and the most effective way to teach. And parents back then, they were considered the best teachers, Matt. But here's the deal. The synagogues were also uh, places of teaching, and the synagogues provided additional education, especially for the young Jewish males. Um, They started studying, besides other things, reading, writing, and even arithmetic. So that was important as well. Well, it's not just the people of the first century who thought that parents should be the the main educators. I'm looking at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2223. 
and it says, Parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. They bear witness to this responsibility first by creating a home where tenderness, forgiveness, respect, fidelity, and service are the rule. This home is your uh, main place for education and the virtues. We, we teach that to the present day, Rita. You know, isn't that the truth? All right. So uh, what are some options then for kids packing lunch? Well, I don't know if your kids and Annie's, it seems like everybody, if they're not allergic to peanut butter, um, some kind of nut butter and apple sandwiches, but a lot of times those apples uh, just slide off, no matter how thin you, you know, cut them. So uh, what we used to do was shred up the apples with a little bit of lemon juice, and that keeps them white. And oh, then like with I'd, a cheese grater? Or? Yeah, that's what we used to do. We just have an old-fashioned cheese grater, and um, you could do that, gosh even in a food processor now, but you let the little ones just sprinkle the shredded apples, Matt, on top of the peanut butter. They seal the sandwich, so they have part um, and parcel some ownership there, and they really love it that way, and they've got some fruit in there instead of that big old apple that they seem to never eat. That's a great idea for a number of reasons. First of all, because any jelly you're going to put on that PBJ is going to be loaded with sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Absolutely. having the apple, and I mean, what better snack is there than a slice of apple dipped in a jar of peanut butter? So mm-hmm. having that on a sandwich is a great idea. you got a trail mix, too, and you've shared a few trail mixes over the years, but what's this one? Well, um, this has almonds and pistachios in it. Of course, you can put any kind of nuts your kids like, but those are the uh, nuts that are mentioned in the Bible. And I always say, again, let the kids stir this up. So what basically, and this is just a guide, I, we usually do a cup each of almonds, pecans, walnuts, pumpkin seeds, um, pistachios. And then you want to stir in about one and a half or two cups of dried fruit. Cherries are good. Chopped apricots, a biblical fruit, are good, but let them choose. And then just for fun and heart health, a cup of dark chocolate chips, the dark, because that's the key there. And then they've got a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of... Uh, uh, savory, a Some lot of crunch. good protein, crunch, yeah. and fiber. So, And you can make bags and bags of that up so they have one every day. All right. So, Rita, there are a lot of things that I think people waste money on uh, that they shouldn't have to waste money on. When I go and I see that uh, at the coffee shop they have cake pops, it's mm-hmm. like one bite of cake for like $4. I'm like, yeah. You could, you could do that at home for, like, 50 cents. But one of the things I think people waste a ton of money on is those, like, squeeze packs of, like, applesauce where mm-hmm. you're getting basically about three tablespoons of pureed fruit for, like, $1.50 a pack. So you've got some ideas to maybe cut that corner for families. Oh, yeah. And these kids love smoothies, too. And these are called the Make-Ahead Smoothie Packs. Basically, um... You're just going to need one and a half cups or so of your favorite frozen fruit. And what uh, we used to do was buy several different kinds of big bags of several different kinds and then let the kids just dip dip out their favorite fruit, about one and a half cups in a small baggie. And I always like to add some sliced bananas into the mix. And you want to use frozen fruit because then it's just ready for the freezer and the bananas will freeze pretty quick. If you can throw a few fresh greens in there like spinach, um, that's Stick a of celery too. works well, too. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so basically, as I said, you just pour those into individual baggies, right on the bag, um, how much liquid to add, like a cup and uh, maybe some honey uh, when blending. So when you pull them out of the freezer, the kids can even blend them up. And uh, they stay cold until lunch, so they act as a refrigerant as well. 
Yeah, they keep the rest of the stuff in that lunchbox mm-hmm. cold. You've also got some tips uh, at abouteating.com for packing hot foods and how pasta is probably one of the best things that you can pack mm-hmm. if you're trying to do something hot. But these are all these are a lot of money. So there are people who pay lots and lots of money to go buy prepackaged versions of the stuff you just talked about, Rita. <laughs> so this is this is some great stuff. Thank you so much. We've got about eating linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a wonderful day. I will, and I'll talk to you again next week, Matt. All right. Good tips for those of you who are working on packing those lunches as we speak. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning in Washington. The House is passing a $78 billion tax package, which includes an expanded child tax credit that's supported by the U.S. bishops. Mark Mayfield reports. It will now head to the Senate, although the path for it is unclear. While it has bipartisan support, there are hurdles, such as liberal Democrats who oppose the business tax breaks and Republicans who have problems with the child tax credit policy. It will need 60 votes to pass the Democratic-led Senate. I'm Mark Mayfield. The U.S. Bishops Conference released a statement last week from the chairman of the Committee on Domestic Justice and Human Development, welcoming the deal for this expanded child tax credit, saying, quote, this is exactly the sort of policy supporting women, children, and families that Congress should prioritize. Archbishop Borsch Goodsiak said it makes meaningful progress to, quote, help support the well-being of families struggling to meet their basic needs and has the power to lift many children out of poverty, end quote. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg has apologized directly to the parents of children who were harmed by social media. The moment came during a Senate hearing about online child safety yesterday. Republican Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri called on Zuckerberg to apologize to the families sitting directly behind him. So Zuckerberg stood up, turned around and addressed those parents and said in part, quote, I'm sorry for everything you have all been through and added his company is working on efforts to, quote, make sure no one has to go through the things your families have had to suffer, end quote. Pope Francis focused on the sin of wrath at his general audience yesterday as he continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. Wrath and anger have a tendency to grow out of control, and thus we are called to actively seek peace and reconciliation. Wrath, the Pope said, is perhaps the easiest to detect from a physical point of view. If it arises from an injustice suffered or deemed to be so, the Pope observed, it is often unleashed, not against the guilty party, but against others. There are people, he acknowledged, who hold back their anger at work, proving to be calm and compassionate, but once at home, they become unbearable for their spouses and children. Wrath, he acknowledged, can pervade our being, robbing us of our sleep and causing us to rerun it in our minds. Moreover, he said, it can destroy relationships. The Apostle Paul, aware of how anger can grow out of control, the Pope said, urged Christians to address the problem at once and seek to reconcile. It is important that everything can be dissolved immediately before the sun sets, he said. If some misunderstanding may arise and people don't understand each other anymore, it is important, the Pope said, to address it and reconcile. The Pope also noted that anger in the face of injustices can be justified. We are not, the Holy Father pointed out, responsible for anger in its arising, but always in its development. Sometimes Pope Francis said it is good to vent anger, but always in the right way. Pope Francis also acknowledged the existence of holy indignation, adding that Jesus knew it well several times in his life. 
una santa indignazione. Pope Francis concluded by urging the faithful to seek the help of the Holy Spirit in properly managing their passions in order to turn them into a tool for the good. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis again called for peace around the world as he looked ahead to Italy's National Day of Civilian War Victims. The Holy Father said, quote, as we prayerfully remember those who died in the two world wars, let us also remember the many, too many civilians, defenseless victims of the wars that unfortunately still stain our planet with blood. He said, may their cry of sorrow touch the hearts of those in charge of nations and lead to projects for peace. The Diocese of Homa Thibodeau is laying to rest their late Bishop Mario Dorsonville today. Bishop Dorsonville died January 19th from complications related to liver disease. There will be a short visitation this morning, followed by the Mass of Christian Burial at St. Joseph Co-Cathedral in Thibodeau. Quitting rates are declining among American workers. According to the Labor Department, Americans quit 6.1 million fewer jobs last year than in 2022, which is a decline of 12%. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. The Sunrise If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. What does the church say about hell? You may have heard people say that there cannot be a place like hell because our loving God would never condemn anyone to such suffering. But as with other matters of faith, we need only return to the scriptures to find the truth. Jesus spoke of a place he referred to as Gehenna and of a place of unquenchable fire. Such a place was reserved, Christ said, to those who refuse to accept the truth, refuse to live out the Word of God. The Catholic Church is very clear in her teaching that upon our death, we will immediately face God and be judged according to the lives we have led. Those who have not been faithful to his teachings, have not lived out his word, and have died in a state of mortal sin, will face eternal damnation. But it is not God's plan that anyone be sent to hell. Rather, in our own free will and judgment, we either place ourselves on a journey to God's heavenly kingdom or to the damnation of eternal separation from God. For more information, contact your local pastor or refer to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1033 through 39 and 1861. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Deacon Bill Mullaney. The Sunrise Morning Show continue, continues. It's always great to catch up with Gary Machuda from Hands-On Apologetics, a great web resource for all kinds of uh, to help you understand and explain your faith. Maybe there's questions you have yourself. 
you've been Catholic your whole life, and you don't know the answer to that. Well, Gary's got lots of good stuff. We've been going through his book called The Gospel Truth, which is all about verifying the reliability of the Gospels. Gary, good morning. Morning, Matt. All right, so uh, we have built a lot uh, of foundation for for where we're going to end up today, uh, which is talking about how actual books got verified or excluded from the canon, and we get to look at the uh, the case of St. Clement, one of the earliest popes. So if you could, give us a little history of him and his writing so that we can understand how the early Church might have wrestled with whether or not to include him in the New Testament. Yeah, sure. Well, um, Pope St. Clement of Rome, uh, there's uh, some uh, disagreement among scholars exactly when he reigned. Uh, some lists have him very early on. Others have him uh, as at the latest, probably the third pope. Um, he uh, wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and this is very early on, at least perhaps around 80 A.D. Try saying that three times quick. 80 um, A.D. Yes. Exactly. Indeed. So, uh, he, uh, so there was a problem in Corinth because they got rid of bishops that were lawfully placed there by the apostles, and uh, they appealed to Rome, which is kind of interesting, because that early on, uh, the Apostle John was still alive, living in Ephesus. But they appealed to Rome to uh, intervene on this behalf. And so uh, Pope St. Clement, in the name of the Church, writes a very authoritative letter, basically telling the, the Church in Corinth that they need to get rid of those bishops and replace them with the original bishops that were there. And uh, so this was very powerful, in fact. Uh, the Church in Corinth did exactly what the Pope said. They, they got rid of these bishops. They reinstalled the, uh, the bishops that were unlawfully taken from their office. And uh, that kind of sets up this uh, letter, which becomes very important. In fact, uh, we know through later testimony that uh, this, this letter called First Clement was then read in Corinth during liturgy. So after you're reading the sacred writings, they would make quotes from this letter to the Church in Corinth, and of course that's to kind of heal the problem that occurred there. And what happened was they just continued to keep reading it, <laughs> and eventually became associated with the, the Scriptures. Which is fascinating. You know, Corinth is such an interesting test case for a lot of reasons, and this really rounds out the picture. First of all, I feel bad for the city of Corinth and the church there, because we only know about them for the stuff that they got in trouble for. Because Paul wrote not one, <laughs> but two letters to Corinth. I think he sent Titus there, right, to go clean up yeah. some messes. Um, Clement's writing to them over this dispute. Um, but what is clear is that uh, the church in Corinth had problems, but the church in Corinth also answered to somebody. Uh, yeah. So, uh, through both the writings of Paul and from Clement, we get this very clear picture that Corinth, for all its problems, is still considering itself under some kind of authority. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a messy port city, and if anybody feels like the church is in a mess right now, you need to read First and Second Corinthians. Oh my goodness! And you can see what a mess looks like. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So they needed a lot of shepherding because there were so many temptations and problems there. And, uh, yeah, like I said, you know, it's very significant that they reached out to the Bishop of Rome rather than trying to consult John, you know, to correct this, this internal problem 
And like I said, his, his uh, letter to them was held in great esteem, so much so that it actually kind of became associated with scriptures, at least in Corinth. Yeah, one wonders if they did reach out to John, and John was like, ask, ask Peter's successor. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of yeah, wonder how true. that conversation might have shaken down. But given this weight of authority, and Clement is uh, very likely, this is the same Clement that's mentioned in Scripture, right? This is, um, there's, there's a reference to him in the uh, letter to the Philippians. So mm-hmm. when the church is deciding yay or nay on whether this actually goes into the New Testament, like, what are the considerations? Yeah, and this is where it becomes important to take the church seriously as a visible, tangible society. You know, the the way you resolve this problem, because, you know, you have the Church in Corinth reading this as part of the New Testament, is that the Church has has spread throughout the world, and, you know, the body of Christ is this tangible uh, collection of people, society that you can tap into for information. So it really wasn't until the 4th century where you could take a survey of all the churches throughout the world, and you could pick out those that don't fit into the consensus, right? Because that was a very uh, unique situation in Corinth, and they end up with having this writing kind of tacked on to the end of the New Testament. Maybe even physically, they might have actually had the copy of First Clement, like, in the lectionary after Revelation. Um, and you could survey throughout the world and see, well, Corinth is a special case, because none of the other churches hold First Clement as part of the New Testament. And so, you know, ironically, Matt, what I show in my book is that it's actually the further you go out in history, you know, two, three, four centuries later, that you actually get a really clear picture of what is that embod- that body of inspired writings that came to us from the Apostles. Where maybe back in the second Christian century, it might have been a lot more difficult to determine. Hmm. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating for for so many reasons. You know, you look at something like uh, the Epistle of Pope Saint Clement to Corinth, and you can see like how there's some stuff in there that would be valuable for, you know, Christians beyond Corinth. Right? Uh, Corinth makes for an interesting mm-hmm. test case, uh, and we see yeah. that from the letters that Paul writes. Uh, at the same time, at the end of the day. Clement doesn't make it in, but we do have this letter that Paul wrote to Philemon, which is like a very strange, <laughs> strange thing to be in the scriptures. Like it doesn't teach like a ton of theology. It just ha- happens to be. It, it's almost like more of like a personal letter that Paul's saying about, "Hey, treat this guy, this convert, really well." So, uh, at the end of the day, why doesn't Clement make it into the New Testament canon? Yeah, that's because. Um... It just wasn't part of that inspired corpus. Um, uh, even though it was valuable, like you said, it, it's packed with interesting theology, uh, uses a lot of the Old Testament. But, you know, ultimately it, wa- it wasn't part of that inspired corpus. And, and like we mentioned, I think, last week, you know, the New Testament isn't just writings from the Apostles. It also includes writings from the disciples of the Apostles, like Luke was a follower of Paul and Mark was a hearer of uh, Peter. Uh, so, you know, where that dividing line is from the disciples, you know, when does it cut off? You only really know when you look at the Church as a whole 
even a few centuries later, then you get a clear picture of that, that body of writing that is uniquely inspired. Yeah, because Mark uh, has connections to Paul and Peter, right? Luke has connections yeah. to Paul and Peter. Clement very clearly has connections to Paul, and possibly if he's in Rome, <laughs> you know, would have yeah. known Peter also. So uh, sure. these are these are interesting distinctions. So this is something that could have possibly been in the New Testament, but the church, well, whatever she binds on earth is bound in heaven, right? The church decided at the end of the day, this is not. It's not going to go in the Bible. Next week, Gary, I'm very excited because we get to talk about the book of Revelation, which is something that was used by a lot of people, but there were still some people who were like, I don't know, man, this, is book, is, this book is weird. <laughs> I don't know if we yeah, should put right. this in the Bible. So we get to see how it worked in the other direction where there was a dispute over a book that actually did end up in the New Testament. But in the meantime, uh, if our listeners want to connect with you and get your book, The Gospel Truth, and find out a lot more about the way you've sorted through these questions, how do they do so? Yeah, just go to stpaulcenter.com to get the book and also handsonapologetics.com to find out what I've been doing. Can't recommend those resources highly enough. They're great. They're just fantastic stuff. Gary Machuda, thank you as always. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, man. You too. All right. Back with Courtney Brown after this. It's 14 Till. Let's see. If something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. I am Father Thomas Loya, and this week on Light of the East on EWTN... It ought to be clear to any believing person that demons are running wild in our world today. The spirituality of the Christian East, with its celebration of warrior saints like the prophet Elijah, offers both calm and strength during these troubled times. On EWTN, Sundays at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. The House has passed a $78 billion tax package, which includes an expanded child tax credit that's supported by the U.S. bishops. Pope Francis focused on the sin of wrath at his general audience yesterday, continuing his catechesis series on vices and virtues, calling it a particularly dark sin. And the Holy See today has released the Pope's message for Lent, which begins in less than two weeks. The theme this year is Through the Desert, 
God leads us to freedom. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till. Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Rua Woods Institute. We've been getting many lessons from him taken from their K-12 through Theology of the Body curriculum called Revealed. Courtney, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I am doing fine and looking forward to our mini lesson today taken from the fourth grade curriculum. And we're going to be talking about authentic love again. Um, basically learning what it means to love like Jesus and how that's lived out in vocations more specifically as our conversation today. So last time we talked about how you don't need to be married to love authentically, but Courtney, of course, we who are married are called to love authentically. So how do husbands and wives love like Jesus? This is a great uh, question, and it's uh, one that I would start by saying, remember, just the reiteration, that when we, when we think of the human person in our story, where we began, that God created us in His image, and our body reveals this certain uh, aspect of what GPT calls the spousal analogy of the body, that we're meant to be given and received. Not that give and take, but that given and received. So we start out as a son as adopted as son and daughters of God, and then that means we're, in terms of activities, meant to be brothers and sisters. And then that moves into the, the idea of that spousal gift as husband and wife. And that's not just from the, the nature of marriage as a, a man and woman in the temple sense, like you and I, but more also in that spiritual spousal as well with God in heaven. So what we do with the fourth graders is we kind of break those two things down, and we start talking to them about how how does a, a husband and wife love like Jesus? And you know that famous passage that uh, Ephesians 5 gives mm-hmm. us kind of that rubric, and the Pope does a huge reflection on this in the work of theology of the body. But, you know, he starts it off by that mutual subjection, which is that, you know, in 521, it says husband and wives uh, show mutual reverence. So uh, that it starts, the love starts with this mutual subjection to each other in gifts and receiving that gift. And how that plays out and roles and things of that nature could look differently in a lot of different ways. So what we do with the kids is have them really reflect on how does a husband love and how does a wife love like Jesus. And I would say from a, from a standpoint, too, that a lot of times kids will give you the generic answers like that you should see, and they're all good. But then there's also times where kids are growing up in um, a home that's kind of broken. Mm, so, yeah. like for, for example, my, my own life, and as a, as a teacher, as a parent, it's really important to like help that, that kid to, nav- to navigate that, hey, we all fall short. But Christ shows us that love. And what is Christ's love? Let's look at Ephesians 5.5 when he says that he gives his life up for his bride. So our call as a spouse, and husbands particularly, is to, is to die. That's your mission, is to sacrifice. And sometimes that's through, you know, just daily, daily sacrifices. Now, obviously it says women in that role is to submit to that mission. But in a sense, that submission is also a, a gift. It's a sacrifice. Especially in our world, when you're taught and grown in our culture that, you know, 
you can do everything that men can do, which is somewhat of a problem because that's not even the point. You know, the, the point is that we come together in unity to, to create a home that resembles God. And, you know, as JPC says, the family is the first place of love. So it's the first school of place, school of love. I, I meant to put the school there. So it's our it's our home that really teaches them how to love like Christ. And I know this can be hard because as a parent, you fall short, you get exhausted, you walk through the door, oh my gosh, and it's yeah. like the last thing you want to do is read your kid. And then the the cell phone for me is a problem. I'm like, oh, I got to put this thing away. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it really is when you think about the the sacrament that we exist together as husband and wife, that God is always ever-present in, in our sacrament, and that we could always call Him upon um, in that grace to bless our kids, to bless each other. And, you know, that kind of flows into that, when we talk about that spiritual fatherhood and motherhood within the priest and religious, that Absolutely. we also have the students kind of reflect on that, like how do they love like Christ? And it's not too far from Ephesians 5.25. You know, it, it's for them, too. It's just a spiritual, I mean, what the priest has a call for his bride and give his life, too. So, Well, it's, it's a, a, it's a, it's a literal love of the Church, is it not, Courtney? Yes, it is. It's by far a literal love of the Church. Um, I remember when I was a youth minister, my pastor and I were real close, and he was. Uh, we went out to lunch, and he's like, man, I had a long night. I said, oh, well, tell me about it. And he, so he had two specific... So, he had two anointing of the sick, a mm. sick, you know, so he woke up in the middle of the night. Like, yeah, I had a long night, too. I, I had to wake up three times, change the baby, nurse, put him back, pat his back. And then at that moment, I was like, there's a solidarity here that yours wow. was in that spiritual, you know, and in the middle of the night, and mine was with my own kid. So we kind of talked through that, which was kind of cool. And then that's also in the same thing as well, that, you know, when they um, are asked to go in a thousand different directions, it calls us to mind, too, that we feel the same way, even though it's a little bit more local in our family, our priests, and even our religious sisters do so much for our spiritual um, well-being, and uh, just to always be grateful for that. So in these lessons, it's really, that's why we really talk to the kids about this, this gift of vocation. It's a call. You know, the way the Church sees marriage isn't just this emotional, romantic feeling to the other. It's, it's a mission. It's a call. It has, it has at its root a gift of, almost in a sense, there's a certain death to self, but a, um, a yes to life with another. Absolutely. And that's, our, that's kind of our destiny together. And some forego the temporal vocation of marriage here to, you know, that supernatural gift that they receive when they choose to become religious as well. So, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And when you, the kids, I know that, my son, when he talks about the priesthood and stuff, I remember he said he wanted to be an astronaut. And I said, oh, I thought you wanted to be a priest. So, yeah, I want to be an astronaut priest. <laughs> like, That's, pretty funny, so. That's pretty awesome. I would love <laughs> to see that someday. So I hope he achieves it. We've been That's talking right. to Courtney Brown. You can find the Rural Woods Institute linked at sunrisemorningshow.com if you'd like to check out the Revealed curriculum, Theology of the Body curriculum for kindergarten through 12th grade. Courtney, thank you. God bless. Thank you. You too. Thank you. All right. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.